Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the first What Culture Wrestling podcast of the little gap between Christmas and New Year that no one's ever really sure of the name of. My name is Adam Cleary, still, yes, filling in for Adam Wilborn, but I am joined this week not by Michael Sidgwick, but by the one and only Michael Hamford. Now, before I give him a wonderful introduction, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, don't forget to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts where we, under normal circumstances, review and preview Raw, SmackDown, AEW, NXT, two point <laughs> oh. roundtables interviews discussions and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture but as i say joined by michael hamlet here michael how was your christmas it was all right i am the carpenter of my own coffin so for as good as it was it was busy because i'm just generically one of those whinging parents now i would like to take this platform that you've afforded me to thank everybody when I took to Twitter, as they say, to whinge about my lot when my kids had COVID and both me and my wife were both very ill. Everyone was really nice about that. But I did miss that little run up to Christmas. This is a time that me and you typically share together. It's become something that I like to think at this point our listenership have accepted, along with having to put up with family members or their last remnants of the Christmas dinner, is Mm. these nice like sort of Christmas period podcast. So I was a little bit gutted to miss that run up. So I, I am actually quite appreciative to be back on the Good Ship content today with you, even though like, you know, even though it still does feel, as you say, like a bit of a hinterland, this is actually a post-Christmas present for me. That's that's great. What I've got written down for my notes here is just, I'll say, how's your Christmas? And you'll say it's really nice. And I've just got, oh, that sounds excellent, mate. Anyway, coming up tonight. <laughs> that's, that's actually, I have to freewheel that. Yeah, this is normally, this is normally the one time of the year where me and you get to bond. It's quite nice. Yeah. I like it. I feel good. Uh, anyway, so last week, if you were listening to the podcast last week, you will notice that I had to basically steer Michael Sedgwick through a review of SmackDown and a preview of Raw and then all sorts. And he just he promised me if I could get to Wednesday with my will to live still intact, I would see a different side to him. I would see rainbows coming out of his eyes. I would see stars shooting out of his ears because he's so enthused about the current All Elite Wrestling product. Now, Hamlet, where are you on this spectrum of like Thursday to Tuesday abject misery and then that one nice bright spot in the middle. Um, I don't think my misery is quite as hard hitting as Sidgwick's, but then my joy doesn't peak quite as high as his. So that's all right. You know, like the sort of a nice compromise that I get a great deal out of AW, never quite as much as Sidgwick. I would like it to be where it was in the summer, 
there has been a drop off, which I think has been reflected in the ratings since that kind of all out peak. That that awesome triple header of Punk, Cole, Brian, like all that, like real excitement around the pay per views and stuff. It's dipped slightly. There's been peaks because AEW is fundamentally a good wrestling show, but they every now and then show you a glimpse of Utopia, and I think it's okay still to want to shoot for that. I mean, it's quite fitting that me and you were doing this one today, isn't it? Because we would have been flag wavers of 2019 NXT. And then we've got the we've got the undisputed era to get excited about tonight's dynamite. So it's kind of like it's all come full circle in that regard. Yes, AW Wengre is still um, the peak of I think your your weekly wrestling consumption, but it's been a bit. I for me, it's been a little bit slapdash this last couple of months. So I would like to see them end on a high. Well, funny you should mention that actually. I uh, recently what culture hardcore what culture viewers will will have seen the video I did uh, about comparing WWE with the hit TV series Succession which mm. I thought was, I was a bit of a weird pick for that video because A, I didn't write it, it was Sidgwick's article. B, I've never seen Succession yet. <laughs> and C, I still haven't seen any WWE this year. Pretty much. <laughs> quite, quite a weird one to navigate. But it did get me thinking that sometime I will sit down with, pe- with pen and pad and I will do the version of that video for AEW because to me, they start to feel occasionally, perhaps not in recent weeks, perhaps it's been more justified in recent weeks, but most of the year they felt a little bit to me like the MCU, like a lot of the interest and the hype and the excitement and the love and everything is kind of based around what could happen and what you're seeing mm. glimpses of and what might be coming down the road as opposed to what is in the here and now. Like The movie you're watching at the minute with that bad guy and that superhero, it's like, yeah, that's great, but, oh, stay around to the end and, oh, someone might come out at the end and challenge him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, wrestling has always existed on... You've got to tune in this Sunday for the greatest thing ever. And then halfway through the greatest thing, they tell you. And don't forget tomorrow night when it's the greatest thing ever. Thanks for coming. That's how this has always been done. And we're all kind of along for the ride with these hucksters and shysters. But as you kind of pointed out there, you're supposed to feel that energy as it's happening too. I look at this card. I'll say this for AEW. When WWE has completely switched off over Christmas, not least with a pay-per-view to promote this coming Sunday, this Dynamite feels anything like a, like a thrown away tossed off show it's the last one on tnt <laughs> tossed there's off like, <laughs> there's a i mean there will be people tossing off to this card it certainly feels like they've put the effort into the last rather than just seeing it in as wrestling has done as traditional december stuff of being able to switch off yeah. so i don't know i think the signs are still there that like aw will be fine and aw will continue to go on and be the critically acclaimed product but yeah like steering out of a slump would be my early hope for 2022 yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're skirting dangerously close to an end-of-year roundup rather than a uh, dynamite preview here. So we'll just we'll just shelve these high-caliber and high-capacity <laughs> emotions for one minute, and I'll simply say three words to you, my friend. Jim Ross returns. Oh, it's lovely. It's like, And this is AEW in a nutshell. Nice. Jim Ross was such a vital component to WWE's like most profitable ever era, and Vince McMahon rewarded him by constantly bullying him, by yep. constantly abusing him <laughs> on and off screen. Like, think of... Think of one of the several times Jim Ross might have taken a break for health reasons, and you will immediately think of Vincent Mann dressed as a doctor, pulling things out of his arsehole on the Titantron. This is the polar opposite. Like, they're trying to put forth a nice presentation of a guy that has been going through cancer treatment, and obviously everybody always wishes Jim Ross the very best, and he's going to be back on the call tonight. It's going to be a long, hard road for him. But the opportunity, because I think he's living... My assumption is it's maybe just for a week because he's living in Jacksonville now, and he's able to go to Daly's place, and it's, like, it's not a hard trip for him to make 
He's, he's still undergoing the treatment, but this is a man who suffered a Bell's palsy attack on air once and got to the end of the broadcast. So yeah. this will probably be a piece of cake for him to come and do something he loves. It's nice. Jim Ross um, has deserved a slab of the criticism that he's had since like sitting in the chair in AEW. He does make some big mistakes. He has like kind of been a bit wrong-footed in his attempt to call some of the women's matches. And there's been there's been reasonable critiques of Jim Ross's work, but he has actually been a miss in recent weeks. He is still that anchor presence, that kind of voice of authority. And I think considering what he's going through, everybody, viewers on screen and in the arena, and indeed Excalibur and Taz and Tony Schiavone, that will welcome him back tonight as a, as a, as a nice gesture for everybody. Yeah, I think Jim Ross is a bit of a weird one for me because not being quite as nuts deep in the product as perhaps some of my other co- colleagues are, he tends to only come up on my radar because he's he's put his foot in it slightly. He's made a yeah. made a noticeable error or he's come out with some crack from a 1975 golf club. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, it's still Jim Ross. An imperfect Jim Ross is still Jim Ross. And I think a lot of the mistakes he's made, certainly, like the bad part that you can't really excuse, that's mm. just how people that age are. But And yet you seem to never come out with it. <laughs> but a lot of the mistakes he's made on air, like the, the guy is of an age with many health conditions where like you're never going to be pitch perfect at work. And I think the goodwill given to him by the crowd is not merely just purely because he was he was the voice of your wrestling childhood. It's because mm. the guy is, an, he's probably the definitive when he finally hangs up the mic he will probably go down as the most definitive voice of wrestling commentary ever like i know yeah. there's several others you could, you could put near that but the guy has done it all it you know the the boom period of wwe the less than boom period in wwe and then uh, he did stuff in new japan he's seminal voice of wcpw at one stage and now <laughs> in AEW. like it's just it's so nice to have him back and you know this will be a nice segment and if you've ever wanted i think to sort of compare and contrast the attitudes of aew mm. versus the attitudes of wwe and precisely why the company exists in the first place is because tony khan is not going to be you know pulling <laughs> pulling a cowboy hat out of out no. of something else later on tonight it's just not um they're not a mean organization so you don't no. Like you don't preview it on a podcast like this. So not that you would fantasy book a Jim Ross return, but you don't think about Jim Ross's return and have to have that voice in your head going, oh, what are they going to do to him? Whose music are they going to play? Who's going to come out in a cowboy hat or pull a funny face or whatever? It's just going to be, he's just going to be welcome back to the desk with his music and get a, get a warm, respectful ovation from the crowd and handshakes from his colleagues, respectful ones. Just nice to think about that. Well, speaking of things that are nice to think about, and in a roundabout way, welcome back. You and me now get to talk about the Undisputed Era on a show where it's not just, well, I hope this doesn't go on for 30 minutes because they've got nothing <laughs> else for anyone else to do. Uh, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly are taking on Orange Cassidy and Adam Nicholas and Josh Brett. Oh, no, sorry, just <laughs> best friends there, my mistake. Um, that's going to be... They've gone, they've gone very early with the Undisputed Era six-man tag match here when they could have held out on that. Yeah, um, it's... I don't know if it's a draw because I'm not sure how proven these are at getting numbers, but it's certainly... Um, it's teasing out the interest from dedicated hardcore wrestling fans that might have had other busy Christmas plans, I guess. This feels like a destination for them, despite having other things to do, because, as you say, the Undisputed Era, the Fish Cull and Kyle O'Reilly uh, triumvirate are this, like, this group so that, that held... Is that how that's pronounced? I think so. I see that, I that word wrong? so often, and I never say it because I'm just so unsure. <laughs> I always think it's like Trimview or something something terrible. Triumvirate? Triumvirate. 
I'm gonna go with triumvirate. I think that's triumvirate. Right. It's only it's only because of how it, like I'm I'm doing that in that way when you know when you can't spell a word, so you sort of spell it out phonetically on screen. Just it's like that's like that. So if I, 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 I can't I that. can't spell character. Ca- guarantee is mine. Never can't been able do guarantee. To guarantee. I can't do vehicle or character. They just don't exist in my head. No. Well, I've lost my train of thought now. Undisputed oh, <laughs> era, really good. Yeah, no, it's uh, they're just it's. It's like you say, it's happened very quickly, but I think that's okay because I really appreciated the blocking of um, the shot last week when the young bucks came in and they were kind of gesturing, oh, so this is our Christmas present. And he said, yeah, what's what's the problem with that? And I like already that the kind of battle lines are being drawn with Adam Cole square in the middle. This is to allude to something you said at the start of the podcast. This match will be good. Um, this match will be of a decent standard. You would expect um, whatever they're going to be called, but the the old Undisputed Era to win. But this is as much about getting excited for the things that are still to come. Mm. So Adam Cole, tonight, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly are going to show that incredible synergy that will have the Young Bucks slightly worried that the Super Click are not Adam Cole's best friends, you know? Are they his ex or are they his sex? They're trying to find that out. And this is all while Kenny Omega is on the shelf and he's nowhere to be seen. So it allows you to get excited about either this very dangerous new version of the Elite or the inevitable three-on-three battle that'd be cool too. It's all good stuff in the long to medium term. And I think in the short term, the stuff to be enjoyed is just the actual in-ring, which I think would be great. I cannot wait because something that hasn't really been spoken about in the fact that obviously the Undisputed Era have been split off for so long. Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole quite nicely last week didn't just hug and pretend like the last six months of NXT didn't occur. I quite appreciated that. They're going to have to find their feet again as mates this week i think what's probably gone like not really spoken about in this is just how nice it's going to be to see these three work together again like you kind of wish roddy strong was there too but not really since last year's war games have we got to see them operate mm. at the best and that's just going to be quite a nice treat at any point do we have to sort of uh, address the criticism of how do you get two executive vice presidents an employee for christmas <laughs> well i mean that's uh I don't want to talk about human rights violations in pro wrestling because, again, as you say, that's a bigger conversation for a podcast, isn't it? But oh, absolutely. I don't know. I think um, what I was slightly disappointed about was that Adam Cole had a box with him and the big conversation became what was going to be in the box. And I wanted armbands. I would have loved Adam Cole to have unveiled a new armband for this new group. Oh, very good. Era. But we didn't see the box again. We just got Kyler Riley doing the running. So I was a bit disappointed that detail was dropped. Oh, it feels like it feels like sub raw writing this. The box gets forgotten <laughs> about. There's a there's a complete you know logical leap you've got to make. Or oh sorry, so this guy's just been hired, even though ah how does that work? How's he suddenly hiring people? God, God, and people say this is the good show. <laughs> I wait the uh, I wait the replies in the other uh, link tweet with both of us tagged in this. I'll send yes. them your way. Uh, hello, my name's first name bunch of numbers, and I didn't understand your joke. Here's three <laughs> tweets about it. Anyway, Thunder Rosa versus Jake Cargill. TBS tournament semi, because in America, remember, semi-final with the winner facing Ruby Soho. Who have you got for this and why? I've got Jade Cargill, but I think AEW have done a pretty good job of trying to make us think about when she's going to absorb that first loss. Mm. Um, Jade Cargill's been, she's been great as a fan to watch develop, but that development has been so gradual that AEW have used it to their cynical betterment. They have, as you'll be aware because, um, again, it's like stuff that maybe like might just make the fringes of the conversation. AW have not been good enough by their women's division. And Jade Cargill has been squashing people on Rampage. And what often happens is they'll say, well, we've got a women's match on Rampage. And it's 30 seconds because Jade Cargill's crushing somebody. So yeah. she's kind of been a device for them to get away with not promoting enough women's wrestling. But 
the intention with her is good because you obviously want to hide the negatives and expose the positives and nothing else. So tonight's a big test for her. Tonight's the first match she's got to have outside of one with Red Velvet where she's going to have to do more. She's going to have to sell at some point. She's going to have to show a little bit of weakness and then see if she's got that monster comeback in her. She's going to have to have more believable offense. Thunder Rosa is super capable of being able to carry somebody like a Jade Cargill. So I expect the match to be Jade Cargill's best singles match so far. And it needs to be if they're going to go all the way with her in this tournament. Um, the TBS title is a bold step from AEW because mm. it's obviously going to be a secondary woman's title in a division that has yet has barely had time for its primary storylines. So whoever wins this title, whether it's Ruby Soho, Jade Cargill or Thunder Rosa, they're going to be in a kind of unenviable position to try and like elevate something that is already going to feel of a secondary concern. Uh, Wilborn has said Jade Cargill from the very beginning. He thinks they're just going to go all in on the big monster character because she differs so much from the in-ring quality of the others. I can't pick a winner in the final, but I see Jade Cargill going through here. Jade, they'll look for Ruby Soho to give Jade Cargill the sort of match that Thunder Rosa will tonight. Uh, I have got nothing to add to that. I mean, Cedric talked quite extensively about this TBS title, especially how they, they staggered the brackets and all that. And mm, it really does great tournament. Like, really great tournament. So, somehow simultaneously feels like something you purely make to give to Thunder Rosa. And yet you get into this second semi-final, sorry, sorry, semi-final. And I actually have her down as probably third out of the three is the most likely yeah. to win. Uh, I haven't got my little Optus stats anywhere, percentages or anything, but I do think, as you say, the way they booked Jade Cargill, Jade Cargill and the way they booked the women's title um, in isolation, you would think that this is probably not what they're going to want to be doing with Ruby Soho, Ruby Soho or Thunder Rosa. So you, mm. you have them in this tournament um, their scalps eventually gave Jay, give give Jade Cargill. Why can't I talk? Give Jade Cargill like an enormous win. It gives prestige to the belt, but then she can go off and have a very different kind of division than we're seeing in the women's division. It hasn't got to be, you know, the kind of things Britt Baker's putting on. It hasn't got to be these like, you know, matches that are supposed to appeal to the same kind of fan who want to see these 30-minute men's main events with four and five-star matches. You can go and do something very different to that, whether it's you know, whether it's squashes, whether it's open challenges, whether mm -hmm. it's using it to debut new people. I think Jade Cargill gives you the most options in that regard, whereas a Thunder Rosa or a Ruby Soho win, you've just got another version of the Women's Championship, which probably feels, at the time, once it's won, at least on its level, if not possibly more prestigious because of the way the tournament's led into it. So I think it's quite... I don't think there's any bad scenario in all of this, by the way. I no. do think like whatever option they go with is good and certainly a lot better than the past... 18 months with hard. Uh, it's the I mean, benefit of a well booked tournament as well. Yeah, you want to it. get to this stage and have anyone be a viable winner. Um, Cargill, Jay Cargill as well. Why she feels um, like a favourite tonight at very least. They've preserved her undefeated streak. So at some point, Jade Cargill has got to lose. So the argument becomes, well, does she lose in the final or does she win the title? And then her first loss is when somebody takes the belt from her. Yeah. So that in itself has got its own sort of level of prestige. So Thunder Rose is the big, I'm, I'm with you, she's the, the third of the three at this point. But it does, it's a credit to them. And I think this was probably the case with the other semi-final, that you're down to that last sort of three or four and anyone could have been a viable winner. Yeah, um, that's a very interesting point. Um, I am absolutely starving, so I'm going to move on to Eddie Kingston, <laughs> Santana and Ortiz uh, versus Daniel Garcia and what appears to be 2.0. Our pals, friends Our of the channels. Yeah, any, I'll keep this any short. Any major points of interest in this? Any like any is anything about this other than just it's going to be good TV fodder? Not particularly at this point, and I'll keep the short because I'm conscious of your dinner. It's what <laughs> the thing with this is is that everyone 
<laughs> Everyone involved is great, really great. Um, people have wanted to see uh, Santana and Ortiz lifted away from the ample bosom of Chris Jericho for quite some time now. They've felt like their push hasn't really materialised despite being members of the Inner Circle as just a tag team, as tag team championship competitors. And that feels, the closer they are to Eddie Kingston and the closer they are to winning this programme, the more it seems likely that they'll be title competitors next year. So that's quite exciting. Daniel Garcia has been one of the breakouts in AEW this year. Um, a beloved figure on, figure on the independent scene that certainly I hadn't really got any wind of until he arrived in AEW and he's been, he loses matches but then he analyses them on Twitter afterwards and he makes good on it the next week. 2.0 these beloved banter merchants that NXT were foolish not to hold on to but then you look now and you think well how were they ever there in the first place you know and Eddie Kingston is Eddie Kingston, a guy that at a moment's notice can be a number one contender. The feud just feels a bit tired. This is all very, I don't know how much you spoke about this with Sidgwick, but the, the major problem with AEW about interviews just being constantly broken up by scuffles backstage. This was kind of born out of that and it continues to be part of that. So this might be just as simple as letting the baby faces win because it's that time of year. Um, I can't see much more in this, but... Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz are probably set for very big 2022s. That's, that's actually an interesting point, which, uh, again, crucially, I don't want to spend too much time on, but is it possible for Eddie Kingston to have a better 2022 than he's had a better 2021? Like, there's... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When he came in during the pandemic, there was kind of like, oh, my God, it's Eddie Kingston. Like a lot. If you knew, you knew. And how they were going to use him, the moxie thing felt perfect. But there even at the time wasn't this, there wasn't necessarily this this certainty that he would sign with the company and be a long term fixture. And the fact he's gone on from there, like single handedly salvaged that goddamn fireworks spot. And he's Mm -hmm. always felt like a really important thing. And he's one of the major draws. And the punk match was fantastic. I think possibly quite naively people have assumed because of Eddie Kingston's maybe his background his style just like the way he worked the glass ceiling for him was relatively low and he came in about seven or eight stories above it and so he could yeah. only inevitably rather than break through it if sooner or later he was gonna have to go back down through it and then just kind of stay there like 
I don't think it's possible for him to have had a better year than he's had. Like, do you do you think do you think there's actually more he can do next year? It's a fair point because he has had a fantastic year, as you say. I think what's happened with Eddie Kingston, and you can never tell, they're almost like intangibles, really. You can never tell how the conversation changes. It just does. There was a point where people people loved Eddie Kingston so much, but as you say, it was always with a certain ceiling. So the conversation would always be, oh, I'd love Kingston and Moxley to win the tag belts. Oh, I would love yeah. Eddie Kingston to win the TNT title. Then, not overnight, because of his work, the conversation shifted to, I'd love Eddie Kingston to be in a world title conversation. And that just happens with wrestlers. There is a point. Some, it used to happen all the time because WWE used to make it that way. The Intercontinental yeah. title existed to be one chat and then the world title existed to be another. Kingston, in this, you know, theoretical meritocracy that AEW is, has advanced beyond the chats about the TNT and the tag belts to the chat about the world title. So I guess when I say maybe I'll have a big 2022 the only thing left to do is to ascend and to have another title shot and to potentially win it. A guy like Eddie Kingston becoming world champion, that just wouldn't have been a thing pre-AEW. And he's made himself kind of undeniable. He's as much a figure of that do-the-work mantra that Cody had mm. as anybody in that original like slew of figures that they first had in AEW. He's a guy that was ready to sell his boots before he made the most of his opportunity. So I think... Should um, the longer Hangman Page keeps the title, perhaps not, but should a heel take the belt like an MJF or like a Brian Danielson, uh, the first opponent people would go to would be Eddie Kingston. And what a compliment that is to his year. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Cody there and you mentioned championships and you mentioned TNT mm. championships and you mentioned doing the work and mm. did indeed do the work last week. He's now a third, three time three TNT time, championship. Yeah. That's given the relatively short lifespan of the belt. That is a lot of championship reigns to have yeah. had for it, especially the amount of time he's been out as well. He has um, three-peated, and I wonder what one oh. day CM, CM Punk might think about that. It's, yeah, it was, um, I don't know with this, because I so I really liked it, and I've been on the fence with the Cody stuff. I, I try to think of myself as above all this and better at all this, when really I'm just in a sludge like everybody else. But it has been my belief that Cody can do whatever he wants with the shape-shifting character, as long as the story is good. And my fundamental problem with it is that a lot of the story hasn't been good. A lot of mid-carders have just been left to kind of float in the in the Cody-verse. You know, Cody breezes into people's storylines for a bit, stuff happens, and then he breezes out. And you have to look at the damage that's left in his wake. Mm. And I think a lot of the rare for AEW, a lot of the mid-carders have struggled as a result. If you think of your Andrade's and your Malachi Black's, like, have they really benefited from being in Cody's orbit? I would say not really. But winning a title from a sentimental favourite like Sammy Guevara, when he set the match up as being like, you'll do great, kid. Me and you, we're the good guys. That's particularly cruel. That's sharpening your houseery to being something worthwhile of a, of a bigger story. And I, I like him with a belt and being this kind of line-straddling dickhead is far better than him just doing it for his own jollies. So I, I really like the idea of Cody as a champion because somebody is going to win that title and get over enormously off the back of it as well. For all Cody's wins, we talked about this before on various podcasts, sometimes, and everybody will have their favourite matches where insert wrestler X should have been the one to beat Cody. He's not a Jeff Jarrett. He's not a Triple H, despite the obvious comparisons. Because when he does lose, it's, it's really valuable. Like he just... Every now and then he picks a win that you yourself might not pick. I might want Anthony Agogo to just 
like jab him in the stomach and put him down straight away. And instead we got 10 minutes. Somebody else might have wanted Penta as they were um, just break his arm and beat him. And he Cody no sold it and beat him quite handily. You know, there are moments where you think, ah, Cody. But with the belt, I think it's I think it's ideal, especially because it's not the top title. It never feels like as much of a stranglehold when it's a mid-card belt. And I think there's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be several baby faces that are going to get shot. And I would expect Cody to set something up tonight where you're going to be willing them over the line and they can't quite get it done. Because obviously, uh, the code, there's nothing announced for Cody tonight. He's in my little pile of uh, the notes you very kindly assembled for me of possible <laughs> features. Um, yeah. So you're expecting that from Cody. Do you, do you expect we'll see any more from uh, Charles Montgomery Punk and uh, Matt? Uh, I can't I can't do a furniture. I've seen so many furniture adverts for Boxing Day sales. MJF yeah. just feels like I should be able to do something. <laughs> um, they had a... So the main event last week's Dynamite was tremendous. That six, that trios match was just all, all fun. But fair play to them for not sacrificing the big story here. So like CM, CM Punk sprints around the building chasing MJF and can't get his hands on him. They could have easily given those first flurries away, and they didn't. So I would expect this week. Um, I don't know if it's too big a call to have CM Punk say enough's enough and have him challenge MJF for Dynamite next week or have the match somehow be arrived upon for next week's Dynamite. It's a, we're going to obviously talk a little bit about the move coming up. You've already got Paige and Brian for the belt next week. They're yep. going to want they're going to want that big number. We've we've discussed this on other podcasts and I'd like to bring you in on this. What is it about America what is it about Americans that really struggle to change the channel? We've seen wrestling companies obsess like if somebody told one of us over here or oh, something's been from BBC 1 to BBC 2 flick that's how easy it is to find the other channel but americans seem to really panic based on how our wrestling companies want to deal with these channel changes and honestly next week's dynamite like could end up looking like a pay-per-view card you could have brian page on top you could maybe do punk mjf under like underneath that well i've got i've got very simple solutions for you here you gotta remember what you've done there is you've gone oh if something goes from bbc one to bbc two you just flick because we grew up michael hamford you and i were of a certain mm. vintage that we remember mm. there only being four channels in the uk and yeah. then the the furore surrounding the invention of a fifth channel <laughs> i will remember when big brother moved from four to five it dropped off mm. the face of the earth americans they not only do not have channels that are like handily numbered like yeah bbc one bbc two everyone called itv channel three Channel yeah. 4 was literally called Channel 4. And then when the fifth channel came along, they called it Channel 5. Channel 5. Americans have all grown up with about 700 different channels, all provided <laughs> by different operators, all, all over the place in terms of numbers. There is every chance, Michael Hamlet, that when a show moves from one network to the other in America, and not just now, historically for decades, that mm. you will simply, A, not know what's happening, and B, never find it again. <laughs> so weird to me like if this is your favorite show and then it isn't there on tnt on a wednesday night and you go well should i look for it no should i ever watch it again no that's that well, for this, me. This that's it the, for me and dynamite this is the conceit michael hamblin you said if it's your favorite show now as we should you and i should both know from working at a company that covers fandoms exclusively to the detriment mm. of any important stuff we might talk about it's that it's never the money is never in the hard cause the, the whatever percentage of those one million uh, AEW viewers that class themselves as died in the wall, cut them open and they bleed uh, Cedric's book, those types, <laughs> they will know. But they are not where the money, they are not the percentage that the money comes from. You need mm. the casuals, you need the people who just flick it on every Wednesday night because they're kind of into it, who might not watch every single week, but do contribute to that million number. The ones who you put a big card on to get in especially, you need them to know. 
And these mm. are the people who will flick the television on on Wednesday night and go, oh, the wrestling's not on. Oh, well, I'll not do any further research into that and then <laughs> never watch strong. it again. It's just what happens. It's, it's just how it is over there. The move. Um, again, we're going to get 500 tweets explaining that's not really, that's not actually <laughs> It's, well, TBS has got a bigger audience share. And long term, they won't have to move as much for other live sports. So theoretically, now they're in a they're going to be in a way better spot than they were on TNT by being in TBS. But as you say, maybe that that potential drop off, I I wouldn't rule out Punk MJF. Revolution is a long way away. That's March. Mm. So in terms of your big TV specials, I think Battle of the Belts is coming up, but there's no titles involved in Punk and MJF. So it sort of feels potentially destined to be on next week's show. What happened? What, what's the TNT belt going to be called after this? Well, because the TBS title... I don't think so, because the TBS title's a woman's title, isn't it? So maybe the TNT title will live on forever as a as a nice celebration of Dynamite's first two years. Um, you know, the TBS and TNT are part of Turner, so I, th- I think they're still called Turner. I don't know if that's just my night is brain, but they're still under the same umbrella. So I guess it's not the sort of situation where if Fox suddenly had a belt on their show that had the TNT logo right. slapped across the problems. So I think that's all kosher for the time being. Might be a long time. It, it wouldn't be like World of Sport having the BBC iPlayer Championship. No, <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. I think they'd be all right with that. Um, so that might stick because they've obviously given the TBS name to the the, the women's belt so that might stick around for the time being maybe that'll be cody one of cody's thing he's kind of like he's not favored by the network because he's sporting the like the logo <laughs> of a complete different <laughs> that's quite good uh right i can hear my stomach going to so final part uh brian page we are getting the rematch again still mm. i don't know it still doesn't feel to me like this is big a big enough event to make the switch onto brian but at the same time you've already done the well we didn't have a definitive finish this time he's not had a, he's not eaten a proper loss yet so surely you've got to go definitive either way here. And obviously we're not this isn't this isn't the preview for the match itself, but how do you set that up? How do you well, how do you get the stakes? I know they're probably going to announce the judges or something this week, but just I don't know. I'm not sure which direction they go with this. So I really love the draw. Um I wasn't of the opinion, and I know somewhere, I know I wasn't of the opinion that it, it damaged Hangman Page in any way. He went um, 60 minutes and didn't lose. And it is a, the challenge is imperative to beat the champion, not the other way around. And I thought a draw made them both look great and all that. you got to see something within its supply context rather than just treating this like a WWE thing. And, oh, he couldn't win in his first title defence. But I completely agree with you. I think the second match has to have um, a winner and a loser. The judges thing is quite nice. I would expect the judges, at least one or two of the judges to be announced this week. They might keep a surprise one. They might perhaps talk about how the judges have been selected. There was no... Um, Hangman Page actually was kind of... Crit- like he called them like old pieces of sh- or old pricks or something like that, whatever it was last week. So he was kind of a little bit dismissive of the judges' idea, which Brian Danielson might use to his advantage. He might go looking for people. Is that what you heard? What Hangman Page has said about him? Anyway, enjoy the show. Be a good judge. Nothing <laughs> is there sort of thing, you know? So they might be able to have, play with that a little bit. Um, so they may be able to announce some of those tonight. I really hope tonight, if nothing else... Uh, they allow Hangman Page the opportunity to um, speak again on the fact that he didn't win the first time. I thought the promo was good, not great. And I think there are a section of the fan base that feel like he um, not let them down. Just really briefly on this, because I didn't get a chance to talk about it. One of the things I loved about Hangman Page not winning on the first time is that AEW acknowledged that the real magic of Hangman Page is that he's always chasing. And somehow they've had him get the big moment, climb the mountain, and then do that Simpsons reveal where it turns out the actual mountain was hiding behind the clouds the whole time. <laughs> I think that's uh, really quite inspired. 
they know their best hangman page and their best hangman page is a guy that is constantly grappling with his confidence. So to not win in his first time has given us all that that anxiety that he, he himself espouses and talks about. So I think that's a genuinely cool device. The judges should worry him. Brian's ability should worry him. And I just want to hear Paige speak on that one last time before the match. Just really liking the idea that, you know, he will get past Brian, but then actually the real challenge is the murder <laughs> horn. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's how it should. That's how he should always be booked. And I think a draw with the best wrestler in the world is a pretty cool way of doing it. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating thing for me because, like you say, to do all that build, and it is the, it is the biggest thing they've done, AEW. Yeah. The longest term, most richly layered. There was so much going into it when you go all the way back to the, the tensions with, with the Elite, all the stuff goes all the way back to Bullet Club, Kenny, the Bucks, you've got the Dark Order stuff. Like Everything that plays into it is injury, is return, all of it. It's the biggest thing they've ever done in the short life of the company. So to mm-hmm. then sort of... I can understand why people didn't like it to then effectively throw a cold rag over his first defense of like, this is it. He can beat anybody except for the first person we put him <laughs> up against who physically could not beat. Um, it's interesting. I think it's going to tell you a lot about the company and a lot about how seriously they take this because the the simple solution is just to have another screwy finish. You know what I mean? It wouldn't, it would never have been above WWE to have a, to have a draw and then mm. let's say, oh, let's think of what's a what's a good example that will give this precedent. They could just both kick each other in the testicles, Michael Hamlet, and get a, count, <laughs> a double count out. Yeah. Um, there are easy options for them here. There are there are cheap get outs for them. You could debut somebody who costs that leads to a disqualification or something. But if this company is supposed to be what it's supposed to be, this needs to be a definitive result. And either. Hangman Page goes back to being the the underdog chasing things because that's the best use of him. And you've had your moment, and now mm-hmm. we've got to send him right back to the bottom. Or you have to have Daniel, you have to have Brian Danielson, who is objectively probably been the most entertaining in-ring competitor since he debuted in this company, who's supposed to be, you know, virtually unbeatable, who's torn torn a torn a storm all the way through this division, and you just have him get beat to a guy who whose entire gimmick is that you know, he's best when he's chasing stuff. I think it's a hard, it, it was a harder sell for me that Brian win now than he win the original match. I think yeah, Hangman I Page be, believing the job was done and then losing in the first match was an easier pitch to me than winning again. I will say as well about the judges and AEW, the idea is you do something long enough or you take enough care with something that you, you gain your audience trust. And I think those pitches there, as you say, that's, that is the way that you would look at a WWE thing. Whereas AEW, for the most part, have I think like, treasured the audience trust enough the judges have been used once before once that i can remember anyway and it was cody versus chris jericho and they weren't used yeah they they weren't used inserted there as a possibility and i would like that to happen again i think it's a pretty cool thing to be able to add to a match without necessarily needing to go to it's all about prestige more than it is as you say if this was judges in wwe you'd be looking for something screwy as a reason to include them whereas here it's almost like oh it just turned out they were set dressing but why not dress the sets, you know? So oh, I, 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 I actually, when they announced this, I said to Sidgwick, I don't think they'll use the judges. I don't think they should use the judges. I think no. judges should be something that are in five or six major title matches to the point where, like, you just sort of expect them to be there. And when you finally do use them, it's not, all right, okay, let's see what this whole judges thing was about. It's like, oh, oh, they're actually going to use... Yeah. Wow, yeah. I've thought about this so much, but never actually seen it. They need... It needs to be in a match, possibly where you don't expect them to be used. Um, possibly one with a more of a clear winner versus underdog. Could, could, like, 
Put it this way, because of the 60-minute draw, Page mm. and Danielson feel to me quite evenly matched. Like, yeah. literally, you could not split them for 60 minutes. So the idea of going to judges feels like, well, if that happens again, we know exactly what's going to happen. For me, the first time to go to the judges should be in a match where there is an absolutely staggering golfing class between the challenger and the underdog. You know what I mean? Where it's somebody who's mm. like, well, let's say when uh, a jungle boy or a Marco Stunt or somebody like that gets gets a shot. Yeah. And they go against somebody who they should not have a hope in hell with. And it goes to a draw and it goes to the judges because mm. you will be like, I, I I genuinely don't know which way this is going to go. Because can you can you imagine how how good, how good it would be in defeat for somebody who's such a huge underdog to lose on the judges' decision? A two-to-one judges' decision at that as well. And the match would be agented up to that decision as well. So yeah. you, as a fan, might be watching it thinking, hang on, I think Jungle Boy had that, but he didn't quite on the night. You know, they would have to agent yeah. it virtually 50-50. That's why it's quite nice as a sequel as well, because Brian did take the majority of the first match. So he would be in kayfabe thinking, well, if judges were watching and it was a 60-minute draw, I'd have won that belt. Yeah. So it's, it kind of makes sense how this has all come together. I, uh, I, I just think they'll have a hard time. I, I can see Paige winning this, and I just think maybe I'll be proven wrong tonight. I hope so, by the quality of their work. I just think they'll have a hard time at this point selling anybody on thinking Brian's going to win. So I kind of that's why I'm looking maybe for something like maybe one last promo between the two of them tonight. I think I, I don't think it would hurt. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So uh, unless there's any other business, my friend, I think that concludes our preview of AEW Dynamite. Can we come back and talk about it tomorrow? Well, uh, do you know what? Not only can we, Michael Hamlet, we are yes. duty bound under the terms of our employment <laughs> to do so, and Good. we will hopefully uh, not see because it's a podcast. Uh, well, um, sense you all there tomorrow when yeah. we return to see how this all went down. But of course, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, don't forget to subscribe to Rock Culture Wrestling, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. The exact same spiel I said at the very start of the video. If you can't remember what it was, you can just replay it, and maybe why not listen to the whole thing again and double our ad revenue? Michael Hamlet, where can they get you on Twitter? At Michael Hamlet. You get me at Adam Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y, the entire What Culture Wrestling family at What Culture WWE. But in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us on this AEW Dynamite preview podcast. And we will see you soon, tomorrow specifically. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.